Chapter Fifty One of the Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Fifty One. A Fatal Hatred. Oh, by heaven and all its hosts, he shall not die. By Satan and his fiends, he shall not live. This is no transient flash of fugitive passion. His death has been my life for years of misery, which else I had not lived upon that thought. And not on food I fed, upon that thought, and not on sleep I rested. I came to do the deed that must be done, nor thou, nor the sheltering angels could prevent me. Madarin, the United States Army under General Scott invested the city of Mexico. A succession of splendid victories had marked every stage of their advancement, from the sea coast to the capital. Vera Cruz had fallen. Cerro Gordon had been stormed and passed. Zalapa taken, the glorious triumph of Churubusco had been achieved. The names of Scott, Worth, Wool, Quitman, Pillow, and others were crowned with honor. Others again, whose humble names and unnoticed heroism have never been recorded, endured as nobly, suffered as patiently, and fought as bravely. Our own young hero Herbert Grayson had covered himself with honor. The war with Mexico witnessed perhaps the most rapid promotions of any other in the whole history of military affairs. The rapid ascent of our young officer was a striking instance of this. In two years from the time he had entered the service with a lieutenant's commission, he held the rank of major in the blankth regiment of infantry. Fortune had not smiled upon our other young friend, Traverse Rock, partly because, being entirely out of his vocation, he had no right to expect success. But mostly because he had a powerful enemy in the colonel of his regiment, an unsleeping enemy whose constant vigilance was directed to prevent the advancement and ensure the degradation and ruin of one whom he contemptuously termed the gentleman private. Now it is known that by the rules of military etiquette, a wide social gulf lies between the colonel of the regiment and the private in the ranks. Yet Colonel Lenor continually went out of his way to insult Private Rock. Hoping to provoke him to some act of fatal insubordination, and very heavy was this trial to a high-spirited young man like Traverse Rock, and very fortunate was it for him that he had early been imbued with that most important truth, that he who ruleth his own spirit is greater than he who taketh a city. But if Colonel Lenor crossed the gulf of military etiquette to harass the poor young soldier, Major Grayson did the same thing for the more honorable purpose of soothing and encouraging him. And both Herbert and Travers hoped that the designs of their colonel would be still frustrated by the self-command and patience of the young private. Alas, they did not know the great power of evil. They did not know that nothing less than divine providence could meet and overcome it. They fondly believed that the malignity of Lenore had resulted in no other practical evil than in preventing the young soldier's well-merited advancement, and in keeping him in the humble position of a private in the ranks. They were not aware that the discharge of Traverse Rock had long ago arrived, but that it had been suppressed through the diabolical cunning of Lenore, that letters, messages, and packets sent by his friends to the young soldier had found their way into his colonel's possession and no further. And so, believing the hatred of that bad man to have been fruitless of a serious practical evil, Herbert encouraged his friend to be patient for a short time longer. When they should see the end of the campaign, if not of the war, 
It was now that period of suspense, and a false truce, between the glorious 20th of August and the equally glorious 8th of September, 1847, between the two most brilliant actions of the war, the Battle of Churubusco and the storming of Chapultepec. The General-in-Chief of the United States Forces in Mexico was at his headquarters in the Archiepiscopal Pascal of Tacabuva, on the suburbs, or in the full sight of the city of the Montezumas, awaiting the issue of the conference between the commissioners of the hostile governments, met to arrange the terms of a treaty of peace, that every day grew more hopeless. General Scott, who had had misgivings as to the good faith of the Mexicans, had now his suspicions confirmed by several breaches on the part of the enemy of the terms of the armistice. Early in September he dispatched a letter to General Santa Anna, complaining of these infractions of the truce, and warning him that if some satisfactory explanations were not made within forty-eight hours, he should consider the armistice at an end, and renew hostilities. And not to lose time, he began on the same night a series of reconnaissances, the object of which was to ascertain their best approach to the city of Mexico, which, in the event of the renewal of the war, he purposed to carry by assault. It is not my intention to pretend to describe the siege and capture of the capital, which has been so often and eloquently described by grave and wise historians, but rather to follow the fortunes of an humble private in the ranks, and relate the events of a certain court-martial, as I learned them from the after-dinner talk of a gallant officer, who had officiated on the occasion. It was during these early days in September— while the illustrious general-in-chief was meditating concluding the war by the assault of the city of Mexico, that Colonel Lenore also resolved to bring his own private feud to an end, and ruin his enemy, by a coup de diable. He had an efficient tool for his purpose, and the captain of the company to which Traverse Rock belonged. This man, Captain Zutin, was a vulgar upstart thrown into his command by the turbulence of war, as the scum is cast up to the surface by the boiling of the cauldron. He hated Traverse Rock, for no conceivable reason, unless it was that the young private was a perfect contrast to himself, in the possession of a handsome person, a well-cultivated mind, and a gentlemanly deportment, cause sufficient for the antagonism of a mean and vulgar nature. Colonel Lenore was not slow to see, and to take advantage of this hatred. And Captain Zutin became the willing coadjutor and instrument of his vengeance, between them they concocted a plot to bring the unfortunate young man to an ignominious death. One morning, about the first of September, Major Grayson, in going his rounds, came upon Traverse, standing sentry near one of the outposts. The aspect of the young private was so pale, haggard, and despairing, that his friend immediately stopped, and exclaimed, "'Why, Traverse, how ill you look! More fitted for the sick list than the sentry's duties! What the deuce is the matter?' The young soldier touched his hat to his superior, and answered sadly, "'I am ill. Ill in body and mind, sir. Pooh! Leave off etiquette when we are alone, Traverse, and call me Herbert, as usual. Heaven knows, I shall be glad when all this is over, and we fall back into our relative civil positions towards each other. But what is the matter now, Traverse? Some of Lenore's villainy again, of course.' "'Of course. But I did not mean to complain, Herbert.' that were childish. I must endure the slavery, these insults and persecutions patiently, since I have brought them upon myself. Take comfort, Travers. The war is drawing to a close. Either this armistice will end in a permanent peace, or when hostilities are renewed, our general will carry the city of Mexico by storm, and dictate the terms of a treaty from the grand square of the capital. 
In either event, the war will soon be over, the troops disbanded, and the volunteers free to go about their business, and Dr. Travers Rock at liberty to pursue his legitimate profession, said Herbert cheerfully. It may be so. I do not know. Oh, Herbert, whether it be from want of sleep and excessive fatigue, for I have been on duty for three days and nights, or whether it be from incipient illness, or all these causes put together, I cannot tell, but my spirits are dreadfully depressed. There seems to be hanging over me a cloud of fate I cannot dispel. Every hour seems descending lower and blacker over my head, until it feels like some heavy weight about to suffocate or crush me, said Travers, sadly. Pooh, pooh, hypochondria, cheer up. Remember that in a month we shall probably be disbanded, and in a year. Think of it, Travers Rock. Clara Day will be twenty-one, and at liberty to give you her hand. Cheer up. Ah, Herbert, all that seems now to be more unsubstantial than the fabric of a dream. I cannot think of Clara or of my mother without despair. For, oh, Herbert, between me and them there seems to yawn a dishonored grave. Herbert, they talk, you know, of an attack upon the Molino del Rey. "'and I almost hope to fall on that charge.' "'Why?' inquired Major Grayson, in dismay. "'To escape being forced into a dishonored grave. "'Herbert, that man has sworn my ruin, and he will accomplish it,' said Travers, solemnly. "'For heaven's sake, explain yourself,' said Herbert. "'I will. Listen, I will tell you the history of the last three days,' said Travers. "'But before he could add another word, the sentry that was to relieve his guard approached and said—' "'Captain Zooten orders you to come to his tent instantly.' "'With a glance of significance, Travers bowed to Herbert and walked off, "'while the sentinel took his place. "'Herbert saw no more of Travers that day. "'At night he went to inquire for him, "'but learned that he had been sent with a reconnoitering party "'to the Molino del Rey. "'The next day, on seeking Travers, "'he understood that the young private had been dispatched "'on a foraging expedition. "'That night, upon again inquiring for him, he was told that he had been sent in attendance upon the officers, who had borne secret dispatches to General Quitman, at his quarters on the Acapulco Road. Travers is right. They mean to ruin him. I see how it is exactly. When I saw Travers on guard two days ago, he looked like a man exhausted and crazed for want of sleep. And since that time, he has been night and day engaged in harassing duty. That demon, Lenore, with Zudin to help him, has determined to keep Travers from sleep until nature is thoroughly exhausted, and then set him upon guard, that he may be found sleeping on his post. That was what the boy meant when he talked of the cloud that was hanging over him, and of being forced into a dishonored grave, and when he hoped, poor fellow, to fall in the approaching assault upon the Molino del Rey. I see it all now. They have decided upon the destruction of Travers. He can do nothing. A soldier's whole duty is comprised in one word, obedience." even if, as in this instance, he is ordered to commit suicide. Let them hatch their diabolical plots. We will see if the Lord does not still reign, and the devil is not a fool. It shall go hard, but that they are hoist with their own petard, said Herbert, indignantly. Earlier the next morning he went to the tent of Captain Zooten, and requested to see Private Travers Rock, in whom he said he felt a warm interest. The answer of Colonel Lenore's tool confirmed Herbert's worst suspicions. Touching his cap with an air of exaggerated deference, he said, "'As you think so much of the young fellow, Major, I am very sorry to inform you, sir, that he is under arrest.' "'Upon what charge?' inquired Herbert calmly, concealing the suspicion and indignation of his bosom. "'Upon a rather bad one, Major, sleeping on his post,' replied the officer, 
masking his exultation with a show of respect. "'Rather bad. The penalty is death,' said Herbert, dryly. "'Yes, sir. Martial law is rather severe.' "'Who charges him?' asked Herbert, curtly. "'The colonel of our regiment, sir,' replied the man, scarcely able to conceal his triumph. "'An accusation from a high quarter. Is his charge supported by other testimony?' "'Beg pardon, Major, but is that necessary?' "'You have answered my question by asking another one, sir. I will trouble you for a direct reply,' said Herbert, with dignity. "'Then, Major, I must reply, yes. What testimony? I would know the circumstances.' "'Well, sir, I will tell you about it,' said the officer, with ill-concealed triumph. Private Traverse Rock had the early morning watch. After his return from the night ride to Acapulco—' "'Yes, sir. Well, Colonel Lenor and myself, in going our rounds this morning, just before sunrise, came full upon the young fellow, fast asleep on his post. In fact, sir, it required a hearty shake to awaken him. After ninety-six hours' loss of sleep, I should not wonder. I know nothing about that, sir. I only know that Colonel Lenor and myself found him fast asleep on his post. He was immediately arrested.' "'Where is he now?' inquired Herbert. "'In one of the Colonel's extra tents, under guard.' replied the officer. Herbert immediately went to the tent in question, where he found two sentinels, with loaded muskets, on duty before the door. They grounded arms on the approach of their superior officer. "'Is Private Traverse Rock confined within there?' he inquired. "'Yes, sir. I must pass in to see him.' "'I beg your pardon, sir, but our orders are strict, not even to admit an officer, without a written order from our colonel,' said the sentinel. "'Where is the colonel?' "'In his tent, sir.' Herbert immediately went on to the fine marquee occupied by Colonel Lenore. The sentinel on duty there at once admitted him, and he passed on into the presence of the colonel. He saluted his superior officer with cold military etiquette, and said, "'I have come, sir, to ask of you an order to see Private Traverse Rock, confined under the charge of sleeping on his post.' "'I regret to say, Major Grayson, that it cannot be done,' replied Lenore, with ironical politeness." "'Will you have the kindness to inform me, sir, upon what pretext my reasonable request is refused?' asked Herbert coldly. "'I deem it quite unnecessary to do so, sir,' answered the colonel haughtily. "'Then I have no more to do here,' replied Herbert, leaving the tent. He immediately threw himself into his saddle, and rode off to the archiepiscopal palace of Tecubea, where the general-in-chief had fixed his headquarters. Here he had to wait some little time before he was admitted to the presence of the gallant commander— who received him with all the stately courtesy for which that renowned officer is distinguished. Herbert mentioned the business that had brought him to the general's presence, the request of a written order to see a prisoner in strict confinement for sleeping on his post. The commander, whose kind heart was interested in the welfare of all his soldiers, made some inquiries into the affair, of which Herbert proceeded to give him a short history, without, however, venturing as yet directly to charge the captain or the colonel with intentional foul play. Indeed, to have attempted to criminate the superior officers of the accused man would then have been most unwise, useless, and hurtful. The general immediately wrote the desired order, and passed it to the young officer. Herbert bowed, and was about to retire from the room, when he was called back by the general, who placed a packet of letters in his hand, saying that they had arrived among his dispatches, and were for the prisoner, to whom Major Grayson might as well take them at once. Herbert received them with avidity, and on his way back to the colonel's tent he examined their superscription. There were three letters, all directed to Traverse Rock. 
On two of them he recognized the familiar handwriting of Mara Rock. On the other he saw the delicate Italian style of a young lady's hand, which he readily believed to be that of Clara. In the midst of his anxiety on his friend's account, he rejoiced to have this one little ray of comfort to carry him. He knew that many months had elapsed since the young soldier had heard from his friends at home. In fact, Traverse never received a letter unless it happened to come under cover to Herbert Grayson, and well they both knew the reason. How very fortunate, said Herbert, as he rode on, that I happened to be at the general's quarters to receive these letters just when I did, for if they had been sent to Colonel Le Noir's quarters, or to Captain Z's, poor Traverse would never have heard of them. However, I shall not distract Traverse's attention by showing him these letters, until he has told me the full history of his arrest, for I wish him to give me a cool account of the whole thing, so that I may know if I can possibly serve him. Ah, it is very unlikely that any power of mine will be able to save him, if indeed, and in truth, he did sleep upon his post, ruminated Herbert, as he rode up to the tent where the prisoner was confined. Another pair of sentinels were on duty, in place of those who had refused him admittance. He alighted from his horse, was challenged, showed his order, and passed into the tent. There a sight met him that caused the tears to rush to his eyes, for the bravest is always the tenderest heart. Thrown down on the mat at the back of the tent lay Traverse Rock, pale, haggard, and sunken into the deep, deep sleep of utter exhaustion. Even in that state of perfect abandonment, prostration and insensibility, the expression of great mental anguish remained upon his deathly countenance. A mortal pallor overspread his face. His thick black curls, matted with perspiration, clung to his hollow temples and cheeks. Great drops of sweat beaded upon his corrugated brow. A quiver convulsed his mouth and chin. Every circumstance betrayed how severely, even in that swoon-like state, he suffered. Herbert drew a camp-stool and sat down beside his mat, resolving not to break that greatly needed rest, but to wait patiently until the sleeper should awake. Again, I say that I know nothing about mesmerism, but I have seen strange effects produced quite unconsciously by the presence of one person upon another. And in a few minutes, after Herbert took his seat beside Travers, it was noticeable that the face of the sleeper lost its look of pain, and his rest grew deep and calm. Herbert sat watching that pale, calm, intellectual face, thanking heaven that his mother, in her distant home, knew nothing of her boy's deadly peril, and praying heaven that its justice might be vindicated in the deliverance of this victim from the snares of those who sought his life. For more than an hour longer, Travers slept the deep sleep of exhaustion, and then calmly awoke. On seeing Herbert sitting beside him, he smiled sadly, saying, "'You here, Herbert? How kind of you to come!' "'Well, Herbert, you see they have succeeded, as I knew they would. "'That was what I wished to tell you about when I was abruptly ordered away. "'I do believe it was done on purpose to prevent my telling you. "'I really think I have been surrounded by spies to report and distort every word and look and gesture. "'If our company had only watched the enemy with half the vigilance with which they watched me, "'that party of emigrants would not have been cut off on the plains.' "'Traverse,' said Herbert, solemnly taking the hand of his friend, were you caught sleeping on your post? Ah, sleeping like death, Herbert. Herbert dropped the hand of his friend, covered his face with his own, and groaned aloud. He could not help it. I told you that they had resolved upon my death, Herbert. I told you that I should be pushed into a shameful grave. Oh, no, no, the Lord forbid. But tell me all about it, Travers, that I may understand and know how to proceed, said Herbert in a broken voice. "'Well, I need not tell you how I have been insulted, oppressed, and persecuted by those two men, 
for you know that already. Yes, yes. It really soon became apparent to me that they were resolved, if possible, to exasperate me to desert, to retort, or to commit some other fatal act of insubordination or violence. Yet for the sake of my dear mother and of Clara, I did violence only to my own natural manhood, and bore it all with the civility of a slave, with the submission of a saint, dear Travers, and in doing so you followed the divine precept and example of our Saviour, who, when accused, railed upon, and buffeted, opened not his mouth. And in his forbearance, dear Travers, there was as much of godlike dignity as there was of saintly patience. Great self-respect is as often manifested in forbearance as in resentment, said Herbert soothingly. But you see it availed me nothing. Here I am, under a charge to which I plead guilty, and the penalty which is death, replied Travers, in despair. Tell me how it was, Travers, your persecutions and your patience I knew before. But what are the circumstances that led to your present position? That your misfortune is the result of a concerted plan on the part of Lenor and his tool, I partly see. But I wish you to put me in possession of all the facts, that I may see in what manner I may be able to assist you. Ah, Herbert, I thank you, most faithful of friends, but I doubt whether you can assist me in any other manner than being kind to my poor mother and my dear Clara when I am gone. For, ah, uh, old playmate, the act can be too surely proved upon me, and the penalty is certain. And it is death, said the poor boy, deeply sighing. Herbert groaned and said, But tell me, at least, the history of the four days preceding your arrest. I will. Let me see. This is Friday. Well, until this morning's fatal sleep, I had not slept since Sunday night. Monday was passed in the usual routine of military duty. Monday evening I was sent on a reconnoitering expedition to the old castellated Spanish fort of the Casa de Mata that occupied the whole night. On Tuesday morning I was selected to attend the messenger who went with the flag of truce into the city to carry our general's letter of expostulation to Santa Ana, which employed the whole day. On Tuesday night, without having had an hour's rest in the interval, I was put on guard. Wednesday morning, I was sent with a party to escort an emigrant caravan across the marsh to the village of Churubusco. Wednesday afternoon, you saw me on guard, and I told you that I had not slept one hour for three days and nights. Yes, you looked ill enough to be ordered on the sick list. Yet listen. Thoroughly exhausted as I was, on Wednesday night I was ordered to join a party to go on a secret reconnoitering expedition to the Molina del Rey. On Thursday morning I was sent out with another party on a foraging tour. On Thursday night I was sent in attendance upon the officer who carries dispatches to General Quitman. On Friday morning I was set on guard between the hours of four and eight. "'Oh, heaven! What an infamous abuse of military authority!' exclaimed Herbert indignantly. "'Herbert, in my life I have sometimes suffered with hunger, cold, and pain, and have some idea of what starving, freezing, and torture may be. But among all the ills to which flesh is heir, I doubt if there is one so trying to the nerves and brain of man as enforced and long-continued vigilance, when all his failing nature sinks for want of sleep. Insanity and death must soon be the result.' "'Humph! Go on. Tell me about the manner of your finding you,' said Herbert, scarcely able to repress his indignation. "'Well, when after—let me see—eighty-four, ninety—ninety-six hours of incessant watching, riding, and walking, I was set on guard to keep the morning watch between four o'clock and eight. My whole head was sick, and my whole heart faint. My frame was sinking. My soul could scarcely hold my body upright.' 
In addition to this physical suffering was the mental anguish of feeling that these men had resolved upon my death, and thinking of my dear mother and Clara, whose hearts would be broken by my fall. Oh, the thought of them at this moment quite unmans me. I must not reflect. Well, I endeavored with all the faculties of my mind and body to keep awake. I kept steadily pacing to and fro, though I could scarcely drag one limb after the other, or even stand upright. Sleep would arrest me while in motion, and I would drop my musket, and wake up in a panic, with the impression of some awful, overhanging ruin appalling my soul. Herbert, will you think me a miserably weak wretch if I tell you that that night was a night of mental and physical horrors? Brain and nerves seemed in a state of disorganization. Thought and emotion were chaos, the relations of soul and body broken up. I had but one strong, clear idea, namely, that I must keep awake at all costs, or bring shameful death upon myself, and disgrace upon my family. And even in the very midst of thinking this, I would fall asleep. No power within you could have prevented it. Indeed, you had to drop into sleep or death. I pinched myself, I cut my flesh, I burned my skin, but all in vain. Nothing could withstand the overwhelming power of sleep that finally conquered me, about five o'clock this morning. Then, in the midst of a delightful dream of mother and Clara at home, I was roused up by a rude shake, and awoke to find my musket fallen from my hands, and my captain and colonel standing over me. It was several minutes before I could travel back from the pleasant land of sleep and dreams and realize my real position. When I did, I had nothing to say. The inevitable ruin I felt had come, and crushed me into a sort of dumb despair. Nor did my superior officers reproach me. Their revenge was too perfect. The captain called a sergeant to take my gun, and I was marched off to my present prison. And Herbert, no sooner was I left alone here than sleep overcame me again, like a strong man, and despite all the gloom and terror of my situation, despite all my thoughts of home and mother and Clara, I slept like a tired child. But this awakening—oh, this awakening, Herbert! Be of good courage. Let us hope that heaven will enable us to confound the plots of the evil and save you. Ah, Herbert, that will be impossible. The duty of a soldier is clear and stern. His punishment, if he fails in it, swift and sure. At the word of command he must march into the very jaws of death, as is right. He must die or madden for the want of rest, rather than fall asleep on his post. For if he does, his punishment is certain and shameful death. Oh, my mother! Oh, Clara! Would heaven I had fallen at Vera Cruz or Churubusco, rather than live to bring this dreadful sorrow upon you, cried Travers, covering his convulsed face with his hands. Cheer up! Cheer up, old comrade! All is not lost that is endangered, and we shall save you yet. Herbert, you know it is impossible. No, I do not know any such thing. You know that I shall be tried to-day, and shot to-morrow. Oh, Herbert, never let my dear ones at home know how I shall die. Tell them that I fell before Chapultepec, which will be literally true, you know. Oh, my mother, oh, my dear Clara, shall I never see you more, never hear your sweet voices calling me, never feel the kind clasp of your hands again? Is this the end of a life of aspiration and endeavor? Is this the comfort and happiness I was to bring you? Early bereavement, dishonored names, and broken hearts? I tell you, no, you shall be saved, I say it. Ah, it is impossible. No, it is only very difficult. So very difficult, that I shall be sure to accomplish it. What a paradox! It is a truth. Things difficult, almost to impossibility, can always be accomplished. Write that upon your tablets, for it is a valuable truth. And now cheer up for I bring you letters from Clara and your mother. Letters? From Clara and mother? 
"'Oh, give them to me!' exclaimed the young man eagerly. Herbert handed them, and Travers eagerly broke the seals one after another, and devoured the contents. "'They are well. They are well and happy. Oh, thank God they are so. Oh, Herbert, never let them know how I shall die. If they think I fell honorably in battle, they will get over it in time. But if they know I died a convict's death, it will break their hearts. Oh, Herbert, my dear friend, by all our boyhood's love, never let my poor mother and dear Clara know the manner of my death.' cried Travers, in an imploring voice. Before he could say another word, or Herbert could answer, an orderly sergeant entered, and put into Major Grayson's hands a paper that proved to be a summons for him to attend immediately at headquarters to serve upon a court-martial, to try Private Travers Rock upon the charge of sleeping on his post. "'This is done on purpose to prevent me from becoming a witness for the defense," whispered Herbert to his friend. "'But take courage. We will see yet whether you shall succeed.' End of chapter 51